Um, joining me now is Robert Hollis. He is an entrepreneur. He's joining me from San Francisco. Good evening. How are we, mate? I'm Got very getting ready to rumble. Let's buggy. <laughs> Lovely. And I guess let's just start by saying, if you've got any questions about starting a business or entrepreneurialism, sorry, entrepreneurship, that's what I learned last week, um, then feel free to send me a text three nine two zero. Some um, this is you know a pretty good opportunity here to put some que questions to one of the greatest Kiwi minds of business, um, Robert Hollis. All right, Robert. Let's I guess let's start off by asking you about your thoughts on today's MIQ announcement. You're a Kiwi living overseas. You want to come home and see your family and friends. What do you make of these changes? So maybe look, I'll, I'll sneak in just before that. How good was the Sharesies thing for the 50 million race? How awesome is that, right? I yeah. think it was such a like great day for New Zealand business when platforms that exist get funded to help other Kiwis win. Like it's just, you know, I obviously know Brooke and Sonia and the team and it's, it's awesome to see them get a, get a big W under the belt. So for starters, props on them. But um, yeah, I guess, quick little segue to MIQ. <laughs> um, so it's, I'm really emotional, but I'm also very non-emotive, right? On paper, there are now more cases coming in, but then technically they're now opening up and lessening restrictions based just on the pressure. So seven days is cool, like I get that, but then you've still got a lottery, you've still got a paid system, there's still people that just aren't, you've got, you know, 100 or so Kiwis at home with COVID, but then people that are double, double vaxxed you still have to go to the lottery, you still come to New Zealand for another two weeks to go down one. So, you know, I, I, if you follow anyone, if you use LinkedIn, check out Ian Taylor's um, from Animation Research Limited. He's, I think he's actually Sir Ian Taylor now because he's such a legend. Um, watching him discuss in simple terms how this MIQ thing has gone from his first-hand experience, it's becoming pretty painful to watch. <laughs> and if you look at all the social sentiment, it's kind of very clear that you know, the, the people have a feeling a certain way about it. So um, to answer the question, Lloyd, it, I would say emotionally charged, but then all, also datally confused. <laughs> if, if, if that's a word, I just made it up. There you go. Datally <laughs> confused. I mean, it's, it's probably quite good if their plans for next year go ahead in the first quarter of next year they are looking at doing at home isolation so you can do it at home or at your parents place or in wherever. That would be good, but there's no time frame on that yet. It's just saying, hey, this is on the horizon. I think the, the frustration from, I guess, now it's very clear that, you know, obviously the long tail of mental health is going to be an absolute no-brainer, but the short tail of, of business is what that meant with no clarity is getting louder by the day. If you look at the social sentiment of, of various different business leaders that are all speaking up, I mean, trust me, there are 99 times more back channels going on with decision makers that, that pull the levels around New Zealand as we speak, that, that aren't being said publicly for a variety of reasons. So um, it's getting pretty difficult if you're the government right now to try and navigate, obviously, the health of our people, but also the wants of the people versus, you know, the long-term effects on the economy and, um, and the health. So that's why, my friend Lloyd, we are not in politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. Politics does strange things to people. I've seen it firsthand. Um, I, I guess... Have you got any plans to, to come back to New Zealand or has this announcement kind of made you just think, you know what, I've just got to hang out for another year until it becomes much easier and much more guaranteed? Well, I've kind of gone through this emotional roller coaster about six times now. So any time, like over the last 18 months with the, the, the various, you know, cycles of it. So for me personally, like I've been wanting to and trying to for a, over a year now. Uh, ha hasn't been able to pop ex exactly the way I wanted. So I'm emotionally tapped out because I'd rather not consume my energy into something which is just going to 
kind of drain more of my frustration and <laughs> as existence. So as soon as it gets to a, a safer spot, then like I'll be on my first fucking plane back. But uh, until then, I mean, at the end of the day as well, there's no clarity with what could happen with a snap lockdown anyway. So the same way that people are locked up right now, um, weirdly enough, 18 months later after this whole thing goes out, America's got more freedom than New Zealand. I would not thought I would have thought that would have been the case, but it is definitely so. And a lot of people looking to take money offshore out of New Zealand as well. So right now in New Zealand, there's a massive potential lib- uh, risk for talent leaving and capital leaving. And when you combine those two things, when it could have been a magnet, we've actually repelled the two things which we need, talent and, and capital. How acute is that crisis of people, of successful Kiwi companies being like, you know what, stuff it, we're going overseas. Multiple people have been back showing to me for that exact same thing for, for the reason there's no clarity on their business and their money can be potentially spent elsewhere. Uh, talking with an investment guy yesterday, he's you know, literally raised and done over a billion dollars worth of transactions. He's literally trying to figure out how to get it out of there because without, without clarity of a plan for commerce, you, what can you do? You can't get hamstrung from it when you see you know, the rest of the world opening back up and you know, you turn on the TV and you're watching 50,000 people at college sports games and sold-out arenas and music going on again, even though there's, there's more cases. It's, um, it's a tricky one, and, and you know, it's, it's tough to balance, but this is um, part of the game that we're now in. So for me, how I kind of think of it is you know, there's so much, I guess, energy has gone into sort of division of, of minds and race and people. I kind of think of the next wave of, okay, well... You know, instead of go, the energy going to division, how does it, more of the energy go to addition? You know, like what, what parts, what comes next? What opportunities come next? How can we potentially set up for those success for others? So um, I'm trying to, you know, transfer my energy from the frustration of now to the op- possibility of the future. If you've just joined me, I'm talking with Robert Hollis, who's an entrepreneur over in San Fran in the US. Um, we're taking texts and questions as well, 3920. There's a message in here from Sarah uh, Rebet that says, my husband and I make some of the best mince and cheese pies in all of the South Island. The only issue is we are right next to a bakery that won pie of the year way back in 1999 and they still dine out on it and people still go there instead based on winning a bloody award back in 1999. How do I market our pies so we can steal some of their business? That's from Sarah. Oh, it's a... I actually really I like this because in a various other little venture I was going to go into the pie game for a second. And a friend of mine actually owns um, Ponsonby Pies up in uh, up, up in Auckland. Listen, whatever. Um, so there's kind of two two ways I'd think of it. I start grinning as I say this because it's like offense or defense. You know, defense you let them you know claim off the the the, uh, the, the winnings of the past, and you kind of, they kind of I'm imagining if you're right next to them win by default. Um, so the, de- the defensive play, I guess the non-reactive thing will be, you know, you try and organically build up, you, you try and sell out of town, whatever. I, probably, I guess maybe I'm a bit more combative mentally when it comes to commerce. I think about how do you make it David versus Goliath? So you try and battle them and level up your brand to theirs. So then people think of what's better you versus them. I'm not saying it's a North versus South or whatever, but literally with that close of proximity, the only way to get extra attention in my head would be trying to position yourself to make it as if it's a battle between you and them, even though they're not trying to fight you, but you're trying to fight them. Okay, so you paint <laughs> so, yourself as the underdog, really, and, and is that how you do it? Maybe change the name to Underdog's Pies or, or whatever and go straight at it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically how you do it. And then you make it... But you could, you could like, if you're in such a small town in South Island anyway, 
instantly my brain goes to, okay, how do you have a team versus them at, and you have like a, a fake trophy that comes up and you play each other at table tennis one week and then the winner gets the trophy and then you do touch or whatever and you kind of create, like how can you gamify like simple things around town and, and make it like a mission between the two and so it becomes, you know, like you create the battle that you want the same way that, you know, NFL owners in the States, at the end of the day, they're not doing it for money. They're billionaires who are competitive with each other who want to take on their friends and whatever. So weirdly enough, I'd see this as a one plus one equals three because if you're a young startup and they are established but still milking it from the past, potentially if you made that competition, which was kind of, you know, I would suggest Google how 50 Cent went against Kanye West (laughs) to see who would sell the most albums in one week when they first dropped on the same day. That whole thing was a setup, and it was a setup because then they would bring more attention to the battle between the two of them, which would make them both sell more. So if there's a lot of um, so anyway, I guess I'm saying you know Google some Fifty Cent and Kanye, and you'll figure it out real quick. Yeah, hope hope that advice works for you there, Sarah, and good luck with the pies. Um, there's been another one that's come in, um, Robert from Ben, who says I've got a that's <laughs> quite funny. I've got an indoor soccer team. We're not very good, but we want a sponsor so we don't have to pay, keep paying nine dollars per person per game. Any ideas on how to attract Nike? That is that's from Ben. <laughs> <laughs> one, it's not going to happen. But two, I think it's pretty. It'd be funny if you branded the if you branded it up as like the average Joes or whatever. And if you ideally, if there's one or two or three of you in a in a in a, in a pod in a, uh, that can actually you know talk some smack, it, I would think it would be funny. If, imagine if you could then have you know a weekly live stream talking about you know soccer or whatever it may be, and get some branding of of the podcast and actually make humour out of how you suck and actually turn the humour into. Um, attention and eyeballs which you could potentially convert into potential partners okay. my, my brain would go to but you know is, is the billion dollar nike going to try and sponsor you know two but nobody from who knows nowhere that that sucks and is two and ten for the season it's like for nine bucks it's like it's probably not going to happen is it worth going but after some local businesses go, or something or 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 should you do what you're you doing just yeah, kind of ramp it up make take the take the mickey out of that how bad the team is well, another way you could do it on the other side is if you know if there's a whole bunch of other teams and players that would be there, my brain goes to why not partner with the closest pub to the place, see if they would sponsor the team, and then in return, you try and bring a bunch of the crew at the end of all the matches each week and do a little prize giving some beers and whatever, and then basically the revenue that you'd bring in by the people who are coming to you know, interact and engage and do the prize givings and, you know, some catch-ups and maybe watch some live sports games. You know, turn a close location that you can bring revenue to and then convert that into potential sponsorship opportunities. So my brain goes to that more more side of things. Okay. Lo- you can do that with your eyes closed, super easy. Yeah, I like the pub idea. That's a good idea. Um, so I hope that helps for you, Ben. Uh, Tracy uh, has messaged, I think, yep, her name's Tracy. Any ideas how to get a children's book published? That's from Tracy. So my brain would go to start do a ebook first and try and spread the word out to see if people are, are potentially you know sharing it. Print one, maybe do a video of you reading it to a kid or whatever it may be, and try and get that out there and see what the pickup is. If you gave it away for free and see if it got gained some traction, what if you? made it available to download or print for you know for free to start with but maybe you had a local partner that you could print with and get them super cheap and and actually see what it is at the end of the day 
if it's a good story, people will engage. You know, storytelling is a key, regardless what it is. So um, my take on it would be get an MVP, get it out. I mean, an MVP is like a minimal viable product. Like, what's, how can you create a sample, start, start something to start with? Because, you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing stopping you from creating it and start distributing it on social for, for free to start with to see if people, people like it. They could print it for free, whatever it may be. But you've got to get it out there. But a lot of the time, you know, what you think is epic, the market has no feelings and they think it sucks, right? So there's only one way to find out is to, to, to get it in the hands of some crew and, and, and see how it goes. Hope that helps you, Tracy, and good luck um, with the book. Got Robert Hollis uh, joining me in, for the next 10 minutes. We're talking everything business. Um, you're still on the line there, Robert. That's buggy. Awesome. Hey, we've got a, um, we'll start with a text. If you've got any questions, feel free to flick them in 3920. One's come in from Tony. We have a UMF 20 plus Manuka Honey and Bee Venom skincare brand and working on getting the brand in other countries. What's the best way in such a competitive market? That's from Tony. Interesting. Is it, um, I'm guessing there's probably nothing proprietary around it, so it's going to be a brand play. Um, one of the things I've been, I guess, seeing is the biggest competitors that exist overseas, usually they plug straight into a bigger distribution network that can go into like global distribution overnight with third-party logistics and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, there's probably, I would do a bunch of digging first to try and figure out how they scaled globally with sales specifically like did they did they you know brand it out did they go one-to-one that did they put sales teams on the ground whatever they did my gut would say because New Zealand's a small market but goes to the world they somehow plugged into an ecosystem to get the distribution which would made it big then I'd figure out how, so that's the probably the first thing is kind of work back from where those who are doing it well are and then focusing on what engine you actually have because like say right now if, you, if you're doing that if you got you know, let's just fragment and say, you know, a big like pack and save type thing for the states, all of a sudden they put an order through for something you can't do, it actually might potentially shunt and destroy <laughs> destroy your business because you can't actually fulfill anything and some of these orders get so insane. So you need to think about what type of engine and manufacturing you can do, what's the scale of that, and then also, you know, if you can only make a few of them and the partners you want do massive amounts, it's not going to be a right fit and it's not going to be worth it for their time. So you need to kind of Work back from how some others have done it. Think of the size that you could comfortably get to, and you may potentially actually need you know, investment to actually build up some different things to it, and then try and work out a, a strategy from there. But even just with those two things, you're getting a way, way, way better stuff because there's a lot of learnings that you can do figuring out, you know, for the hundreds of brands that are out there trying to do the same thing, who has exceeded and specifically why. Because usually if you look on the, you know, the directors on the companies, the shareholders of the companies, do some diggies on the company's office, which you can go to at companies.gov.nz. Look into the companies and see their shareholding, all of it, and then look to see how they are positioned strategically to get the goal that you want. And you'd be surprised at who may actually own a lot of these different companies who you're talking about or has shares. And that's a great way to think about it strategically where you may have someone that's, you know, plugged into the logistics landscape that's into one or brand or whatever it may be. So research is the best way to start and then you've got a creative challenge after that it's quite lucrative isn't it that market of of bee venom and new zealand manuka honey given given the healing benefits of manuka overseas it's everywhere you know new zealand honey um and new zealand skin products so is it quite a lucrative area 
I mean, I don't know. I'm not personally in the game, but I know the price of what they're selling it for here in the States, just down the street, is insanely expensive. So clearly demand's there and for good reason. But, you know, it's the same with, you know, Ponama or Greenstone. There's power in the brand of New Zealand. And I think when you can play that the right way, it's definitely to your, to your benefit, that's for sure. Cool. Hope that helps, Tony. Um, there's another one here from Tom. Hi, Lloyd. I've got lots of ideas and things I want to bring to the market. I've got prototypes of some. Some are just big ideas, but I don't know what to do with these ideas. I don't know where to start with getting to market, and I don't want to be ripped off. I have okay technical knowledge, and I'm a sole trader, but I don't know where to start. What do I do? Cheers, Tom. Okay. Go to a Google Sheet online. Write down all the ideas on one side. Write down all the potential market size on the other. Write down all the potential price of the other. Add them all up. See what's the biggest potential market. Then think about where your skill set could potentially land into. And then you can go, okay, and what are you most potentially passionate about? But basically it sounds like, you know, if you're a one-man band with, a, you know, a hundred ideas, there's only so much time in the day. And if you've only got your own resources, you've only got your own time. And so one of the biggest mistakes that people potentially do is they go into a... Um, they, they go into something that they think they can do well, but if they don't have the technical expertise to actually execute it, they end up being either pushed out of their own company or um, basically not being able to execute because they don't know what's up. So, you know, I've got a, a ventures list of my own, and it's probably at the moment about 270 different things, but because I'm one dude, I can't do, can't do all of it. So you need to kind of focus, you know, at the, moment, at the moment your brain's probably like a bit of a, you know, shotgun trying to go everywhere. You need to try and hone it in to go sniper mode. So I would start out with um, with that. And then think of, you know, the market size, what you're selling, how you're selling it. And potentially at the end of the day too, is if it's going to go big, you know, what would you be what would you be the most excited about to spend the next 10 years of your life chasing after? But you can't be passionate about everything and there's only so much time in the day. And if you don't have a big engine behind you, um, you'd be able to focus on where you think you can like, genuinely make a win. And then after you've kind of done that, you know, go to leanstack.com or um, you go to dial.org.nz. There's a free resource thing and it's got a bunch of different free stuff that you can sort of check out there as well. So that's, that's how I approach that. Yeah, it's a good idea with that spreadsheet as well. It's such a good, um, that's such a good way to approach it. And then that really gets your head around it and the possibilities um, of those ideas. Um, let's let's change tack here and talk a little bit about Squid Game. Squid Game, a very popular series that's on Netflix at the moment. I think the most popular series that they've ever had. Um, there's an article that I've seen today about three lessons of marketing that we can learn from Squid Game. And the first one is that word of mouth is better than any paid ad campaign. Yeah, so I had heard about it real quick from a lot of sources. And usually what happens in my world is I, if someone tells me about it once, I log it. If someone tells me about it twice, I think about it. And if I hear it from the, a third person within a short amount of time, I have to stop what I'm doing and see what this thing is all about. And that's exactly what had happened with Squid Game. So not only I think the word of the mouth, word of mouth is more successful, but where I think they got really good with Squid Game was they had like word of mouth plus social media equaled like amplification and virality plus FOMO for something which was happening right now. So there was this, there was a combination. So from my my thing, it, it felt like, you know, technology and social media came over the top and was almost just accelerant and fuel on the fire um, to, to make it even bigger. And and probably, oh, you know, I was, I was reading that article too, and I think the bit that they actually missed was, I think, which was potentially the most important, was rewind 10 years ago. Do you think the world would have listened and watched a, a, a full... Korean uh, 10 episode thing of something they don't even see, not a chance ever. So I think the epic thing about obviously technology coming through and opening up content platforms was the fact that like language doesn't 
matter. It's the story that trumps all. It's the it's the storytelling of how epic and amazing it was that has almost changed the game, which I'm actually super stoked on to see that it's got to a point where a full like Korean speaking thing can globally go everywhere, which takes one thing that was local instantly global. And uh, uh, for me anyway, I was thinking that's, that's amazing for, uh, like imagine the next thing comes out of Italy or if it's an Aboriginal thing, it was you know somewhere that you've never even heard of. So for me, it was like local to global has now gone flat through technology. Language doesn't matter and story trumps all. Um, we've got another text in here, um, Robert, saying, hi, I want to hire out some machinery but need to get some contacts before purchasing. How would I go about this? Um, there's no name there, but have you got any any um, suggestions for him or her? So th- th- they wanted to what hire 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 equipment? out machinery? I guess it's like a, a diggers and trailers, and I'm not too sure, but there's no details there. Well, um, it could be. Like I've got a, a two friends who do a similar thing at the moment. They started off obviously doing contracting, then they wanted to they had to you know hire in diggers and earthworks and bits and pieces, and they ended up getting sick of always having to hire in individuals at a time. So then they actually partnered with one of them, partnered with um, like a bigger wholesaler to do it. And they could almost um, hire out the other person's equipment by using their talent and branding without actually having to pay for the cost of the infrastructure, which was super cool, right? So you had, um, it basically meant that they could launch an earthworks business featuring a whole bunch of diggers which they didn't actually own, and then they were actually paying a branding game where they could then just put margin on top of the hire, brand up and, and, and polish it with their, their logos and bits and pieces and the different partnerships and go it that way. So, Because obviously these things cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, I, I'm guessing this is how to start a, businesses, a business with Earthworks without actually having the million bucks to drop down for, for all of it. So that's a smart, easy way to do it. And if you look at, you know, some of the airlines that have started, it's been the same thing. Like Richard Branson started the same way. You know, I think he leased out one of the, the unused aircrafts from British Airlines, chucked his logo on it, he leased the plane and then just made enough um, noise around it. So th- that's the way to do it is, you know, obviously if you can't afford it, partner with some that people that have got it, potentially if they've got excess inventory, and then try and navigate a deal for it. Okay, wonderful. We've got to leave it there, Robert. That's Robert Hollis, who's an entrepreneur joining us out of LA.